To another edition of the Pixel and Roll Show, where we discuss the most mediocre basketball team in the NBA, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is February 8th, 2016. Winter is here. The malaise of February is upon us. There is more snow coming to the nation's capital tomorrow. It's bitter, bitter cold. Not a fan of February or this coldness. That is your... That is your weather update. On the positive side, the the sixth grade boys basketball team that I coached, the Cougars, the little Cougs, have now won two in a row. So we're on a winning streak. So just get some positive news out there before we discuss. While you're listening, those Washington Wizards, they currently sit at twenty two and twenty two and twenty seven. They have lost three of eight, three of their last eleven games. They're three and eight in their last eleven. They have lost six of eight games. Things are not going well, so let's take time to discuss, which is another reason you're listening. With me today, uh, a veteran, the grizzled vet of the Truth About It crew, my main man, Rashad Mobley. Rashad, what is up, my man? What's going on, Adam? So does your, I guess your record is good with coaching the, the young Cougars. That means that you are more than qualified to coach this Washington Wizards franchise. <laughs> I did have I did have a tweet uh, from our good friend Tony uh, uh, on the t- Wizard Twitter machine that he said it was a, f- a hilarious one about about me speculate it was like a speculating of me me coaching I don't know if I'd go that far we we almost melted down on Saturday blew a ten point lead in the last couple minutes but pulled out the victory so I don't know how much coaching is involved but but yes they are on a winning streak I'm proud of them they're actually getting better they drive me nuts still to this day. Kind of like this uh, NBA basketball team. Before we go to them, Rashad, how, how was your Super Bowl? Uh, it was boring as hell. Uh, <laughs> the game, the game was boring. You know, I kept, I kept waiting for Peyton Manning to do something. I kept waiting for Cam to do something. Cam got frustrated. Um, honestly, the best part was watching Beyonce shake her ass all over the HD screen. Um, <laughs> so it was just. I mean, honestly, it was one of the most boring Super Bowls I've ever seen, and. Even my wife and her friend were looking at me like, this This is the sport that you praise every Sunday? I, I had no defense. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I was at a party, so and we were playing squares. So I was able to entertain by, hey, let's just focus on who's winning the square pool right now to kind of deflect from the awfulness of going that was happening during the game. Yeah, the Broncos win with less than 200 yards of total offense. It's only the fourth Super Bowl in history without a passing touchdown. I mean, Von Miller was a beast. He was definitely the best player on the field, and the Panthers really had no answer for his pass rush. Those tackles got exposed, but I still was maybe waiting for some type of cam play at the end, and it just never really materialized. And I agree, Super Bay was a highlight, and Coldplay was awful. 
And, I mean, I know this is a basketball podcast, but if I've watched football enough to know that if a defense is pursuing you the way Denver was pursuing Carolina, would it kill you to throw a quick screen or something just so you can get the ball out of his hands and let Ted Ginn or somebody run? I mean, he was holding the ball, and every play seemed like it took 30 minutes to develop, and Von Miller and DeMarcus Square were back there in two seconds. It was just unimaginative play calling, which, again, is a perfect segue to our Washington Wizards. Yes, to our Washington Wizards. Like I mentioned in the opening, they are not playing good basketball. They Let's go to the recap of the last three games since the last time I did the podcast. They lost to the Hornets on Saturday night, 108-104. to They blew a 19-point lead in the second quarter, had some chances to win at the end, and blew it. They beat a hapless, hapless Sixers team on Friday night, 106-94. to I know you were at that game. Uh, and then the Golden State Warriors, you know, Steph Curry, I was at that game against the Warriors, covered it. It was unbelievable. The Wizards, probably the closest thing that we'll get to a moral defeat, a moral victory, I'm sorry, in defeat against the Warriors. They lost 134 to 121. Steph Curry was insane. John Wall was sensational. But once again, the Warriors, or once again, the Wizards lost, and they are now 10 and 16 at home. So they've lost 16 games at home after going 29-13 and 13 last year at the Verizon Center. Where would you like to begin, Rashad? Should we just should we just start with Golden State? Let's just start with Golden State. Let's lead, we have to lead with the champs. I, I know you watched the game. What were your thoughts from, from the TV before I before I discuss what it was like to be there? Well, let, let me preface my comments by saying, let me go forward a little bit to watching the Thunder and the Warriors play. Yes. And I found myself... I mean, KD and Westbrook did their thing, and they got back in the game, mostly because it seemed like Steve Kerr was almost challenging his team to win with Green and Curry and Thompson on the bench for an extended period of time. And then when they came back in the game, you know, they put it away. But I didn't understand, number one, I was watching, like, why did not why did they fire Scotty Brooks? Because Billy Diamond's not doing anything. And there was no imagination in the lineups. And I found myself, I found myself thinking... You know, why not move Durant to the four and Ibaka to the five and do something imaginative because that's all Golden State is. They're, they have imaginative lineups and they work them to death and it works. And they force you to do something you're not used to doing. And if you just try to force feed your way down their throat and do your normal routine, you're going to get blown out. And so when I was watching the Wizards, it just seemed like there was no imagination. And you know, I know a coach will say we have to stick to what we know and stick to this, but it wasn't working. They weren't contending. I mean, Steph Curry was playing amazing, but he wasn't the only one beating the Wizards. I mean, they just seemed to make the right play time after time. And John Wall, as well as he played, that, that's not John Wall. That's not his game. It's to score 41. His game is to get everyone involved, and he picks and chooses his spot. So I just was frustrated that there was no imagination. I, I mean, why not start deal? that game instead of two nights later against the Milan Sixers. You know, why not put Oubre in, who's just as athletic? I mean, sure, he's going to make some mistakes, but there's just a lot of little things that they could have done as opposed to just saying, well, these are the Warriors. It was great. That's just not the attitude. I mean, as true as it may be, that's just not the attitude you have. As a coach, you come up with a game plan that can beat the team. I, I just I just didn't see that. Um, and maybe I'm being a typical a Wizards fan because... I mean, at the end of the day, you do have to tip your hat. The Warriors are beating everybody like that, not just the Wizards. It's just, 
you know, I just didn't, I didn't see anything encouraging. And I saw habits against the Warriors that I ended up seeing against the Sixers and against the, um, the Hornets. So it was, it was, it was just depressing. Oh, and may I add parenthetically that Sean Livingston was out there and Barbosa were out there making big contributions and they're former Wizards. Yes, we, we own the, the ruptured ACL uh, of Barbosa's there for, for a month or two uh, in the Jordan Crawford trade. It was it was insane, the, the arena. It was something that, I know it's a regular season game, and sometimes you don't want to use too much hyperbole to describe something. Well, I ended up, you know, just a, a typical game where there's 82 of them. I ended up, my lead ended up comparing the Warriors to the Beatles playing their first show in D.C., in the Washington Coliseum about 52 years prior. Now, talk about hyperbole to compare the Golden State Warriors versus, you know, one of the most iconic rock and roll bands of all time. But it was, there's just the experience around them. The, the fans, Steph Curry hit, I mean, he was hitting shots, 25-footers that he does. But whenever he had the ball, the whole arena was just on edge. I also compared it to what it was like when, when Barry Bonds in his prime for the Giants was up to bat or when Barry Sanders had the ball. You're just anticipating this greatness to happen at any moment, and even when it does, you're still surprised. It's still had this surreal moment of, yeah, Steph Curry's going to shoot a 25-footer, and you still were had this lateness or jubilation, weird jubilation because you're not really cheering for him, but when he was cooking the way he was cooking, I mean, he hit 9 of 10 three-pointers in the first half, he ended up 1-11 for the game, 51 points, one off the record. And then the last five minutes of the game, I kept just recording him with my camera to, to see if he'd tie the record, which which oddly is Kobe Bryant and Daniel, Mar- uh, Daniel Marshall have the all-time NBA record for most made threes in a game at 12. And Curry never shot one again. He dribbled in, made some plays, kicked it to Klay Thompson. He didn't really need to do that. And the only reason the game was really even close was was because of John Wall. He was 17 to 21, had 41 points, or 17 to 25 shooting, hit, hit all his threes. He got really frustrated in the second quarter with the refs. He finally got teed up. But yeah, he really had no real help out there. Bill came in. Bill made some good plays. He, he couldn't really knock down a three, and that kind of was ends up being the difference of the game. What did you see, just from a, aside from imagination, is just the Warriors are just way more better than the Wizards, and do you believe in some type of moral victory in that performance of the Wizards? You know, they're about to get blown out of that game, and they came back like gangbusters in the third third period. And I thought the deciding factor of the game, and this is what I wrote on Truth About It, was when John Wall picked up his fourth foul, and Don Newman sits him, and that pretty much was the game after that. And so maybe that ties into your criticism of not using Ubre, not going small, not doing these different things. You know, maybe let John Wall play through that. Don Newman was filling in for any women that game. You know, having Wall fight through his foul trouble probably maybe was the best bet in hindsight for even competing against, you know, the defending champs who are so damn good. Well, I, I mean, I think, number one, if you go back a couple months when uh, Beal and Wall were on uh, ESPN with Hannah Storm and they said that they think they're the best backcourt in the NBA because they play on both ends, it seems to me... Just even from a coaching standpoint, you start Beal and Wall against uh, Thompson and Curry, and you give them a fair shot. That alone would have taken a significant burden off of Wall. Beal and Wall to do it alone. He wouldn't have gotten a foul trouble. I just think you start that way. You can still keep Beal on, on, a minute, on a minute's limit if you want. 
you can still be creative with what you do, but I think you start with him on the floor because right away, Thompson and Curry know they're going to have to work on both ends as opposed to when it's just Wall. Again, God bless Garrett Temple, but he's not aggressive. He's not a deep threat consistently. He just plays a different game. And so that, that, was, that was frustrating from the jump. As far as moral victories, Adam, if it were two years ago before we made the playoffs, <laughs> uh, I just pulled the pronoun game. Before the Wizards made the playoffs, and we were, you know, incrementally building towards something, I would say, yes, that's a moral victory. That's a good benchmark by which to weigh or to gauge your team. But, you know, this <laughs> Golden State was not this good while the Wizards were rising their first year in the playoffs. And now the Wizards have fallen behind them. That, that's not a moral victory at all. It's a backcourt you proclaim to be better than they outplays you. That's, that's not a moral victory. And as a coach who... Once, who has perfected the very scheme that Randy Whitman is still feeling his way in the dark on how to run consistently, and so I don't, I don't think it's a moral victory at all. And I don't, to the Wizards' credit, I don't think any of them felt like, except for Otto Porter, who seemed to be in awe. You know, his post-game comments about, you know, I saw him on TV and now here he was. I didn't particularly like that. But you just playoff teams don't have moral victories; they they just don't. And David Aldridge said the same thing about the Thunder. You know, they came back and almost won, but the Thunder are a team, they want to win the title. They they think they're one of the two or three best teams in the NBA, and you just don't get beat like that. So I'm not I'm not going to lower my standards and say that there was a moral victory. They lost. The way they lost was bad, and I think the most frustrating thing, and I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but it was frustrating that at no point during the night did I feel like the Wizards' best and most athletic lineup was out on the floor. And so... No, no moral victories. It was, it was, it was frustrating to watch. Well, you it don't think it was. You don't, you don't think the corpse of Drew Gooden uh, flopping okay. around, the corpse of Drew Gooden flopping around, or Gary Neal out there being a sieve as a defense isn't isn't gonna <laughs> is gonna get the Wizards over the hump against against an elite team like the Warriors. <laughs> I mean, again, I'm jumping ahead in our agenda here, but early in the season. The one thing that Coach Whitman loved about Oubre is how he got after it on defense. You know, yeah, he got some reaching fouls, but number one, to see a rookie that's willing to play defense is just unheard of, and that's the one part of his game that was consistent. And you're telling me that against all those athletes, you couldn't put him out there, you couldn't put him on Curry for a little bit, or put him on Thompson, or you just you just couldn't do anything like that. It, it just... It, it, it frustrated me when I was sitting there watching, and it, it wasn't just me. There was a lot of people who were just wholly frustrated. Yeah, I think what's really frustrating, too, especially about the Golden State Warriors, is the fact that the Wizards had a chance at every single player. I, I know it's been well documented about them you know, trading the pick, Grunfeld going for one last shot with the big three, obviously ill-advised, didn't work out when Abe, Abe was dying wish. And, and I don't want to revisit all that, but they had a chance at Steph Curry. They worked him out, didn't pick him. Then you go, even Harrison Barnes or Bradley Beal. I mean, I think, obviously, I would say that Bradley Beal was a better choice than Harrison Barnes. But it keeps going. You said they held Livingston. They had Barbosa. Draymond Green, they they draft Sadoransky, who still hasn't came over. Draymond Green now is an all-star. And so you see where they almost have all their... And and then 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 one more was drafting Jan Vesely over Clay Thompson. Working out Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, and taking Jan Vesely, which I don't need to... Uh, remind everyone what a what a 
fatal error that was in the decision-making of the front brass. So that's what, to me, sometimes is frustrating to see this Warriors team. And not that the Wizards could have been that. And and maybe if they get Steph Curry, they're not bad enough to, to get John Wall later on and, and vice versa and all those. But just how every single player the Wizards had a chance uh, to get and to see them now, the Wizards now flopping around and you know, going through these struggles where the Warriors now are on this level of, you know, rivaling, going for the Bulls all-time NBA record is just frustrating and kind of depressing, man. Which which brings us to the Sixers game in uh, which, you know... Great segue. I, yeah, I would be willing to say it was a moral victory against the Warriors if they came out against the Sixers and just put that game away and we're playing Oubre and DeJuan Blair halfway to the third quarter because the potential was there. I mean, they, at one point they were up by 25, everything was clicking, and then they just they just let their, let their foot off the gas. And after the game, Coach Whitman, as he does so many times, just kind of blamed it on the team and said that they have to be better at you know putting their foot on someone's neck and closing the deal and not letting up. And, you know, he's just not taking any responsibility. I mean, he's, he has to own that as well. Something happens to this team where they could really away. And, you know, John Wall deserves some blame because Ish Smith went off in the third quarter and single-handedly put them back in the game. But, again, that's, that's, that's coaching. You know, at some point you have to call a timeout and you have to say, look, we are better than this team. There's, there are two legitimate NBA players on this squad. We should be blowing them out. We have Bill back. No, we don't have Nene, but we have Bill. We have Porter. Everybody's here. We should blow this team out. For pockets in the game, they look great, and it looked like, I mean, at one point I looked at Troy, and I was like, you know, I think we can write our story right now. And he was like, no, no, no. And he was right, because in the third quarter, if Smith turned into Steph Curry, there was no resistance. There were a bunch of quick shots by the Wizards. There was too much Drew Gooden. I thought, the, line, I, thought the, I thought the lineups were awful in the third quarter, too, which allowed them to come back. I mean, you had Sessions and Neal playing long time together on defense, and then you have Garrett Temple in the mix, too, which sometimes hurts for offense. I know he's played better this year, but it was just some weird, weird lineups. Like, Blair was playing the center. I know Nene was out, and Nene did not play that game. But I just thought there was just bizarre lineups that allowed – in a lack of attention that allowed Philly to creep back, and the Wizards had, had to what, make a late run there with like four or five minutes left. John Wall was sensational. He ended up with a triple-double, 18, 13, and 10, uh, only in two seals and only three turnovers. But, but yeah, the Philly is terrible. They're bad, and it should have been a blowout, and they should have rested their stars in the fourth quarter. Instead, they're out there trying to put it away with four minutes left, right? Right, and it was just, I mean, the, the fans were getting restless, and you just weren't seeing good basketball. And afterwards, I wrote, you know, you can give me the cliche that a win is a win, and that sounds nice, but you could see what was to come the next night against Charlotte. You could see that coming a mile away, just poor habits, not putting a team away, you know, not moving the ball well, just taking quick shots, getting lackadaisical on defense, all those things that you can get away with in beating Philly. It just came back to get him the next night. And that's, you know, that's just, I'm not used to seeing this from this incarnation of the Wizards. You know, they didn't do this the past two years. And it's just, it's the regression. It's just, it's, 
it's, it's depressing. Like a team with this much talent, with, with John Wall and Gortat and Beal, should not get up on Philly and then have to hold on. Or should not have 19-point leads twice and, and blow it. That, that should not happen. And so there's an issue there. And to quote Phil Jackson, you can't fire 15 players. You know. <laughs> well, well, hold your thought on that because that is also on the topic list we're going to get into. But you mentioned the Hornets game, another frustrating one. The Wizards came out hot. Otto Porter, the best I'd seen out of him in a long time, slashing, making shots. Wall was energetic. The whole thing was clicking, and then they just kind of let up a little bit to end the the second quarter, and then they started the second half terrible. I, I think I wrote it down. I mean, at one point. They, what did they gone on? They had they had gone on like a thirty to eleven run that Charlotte did from from two different quarters. Took the lead. The Wizards did come back. Wall and Beal made some some great shots to lead them back. But then here you have Wall, and, and I never want to be overly critical of Wall because we know this team would be awful without him. But I'm also gotta call it how it is, correct? And he had two mess ups. Beal had a great shot, and had, I think it tied the game or put him up one, and the Charlotte scored. I think it was either up one or tied, and Wall came down and just fires up this this contested 15-footer. I don't know if you remember the shot. And I was kind of disappointed in him. I mean, it was a decent shot, and he had been – it was an okay look. I think people will argue that it was maybe a bad look. I just thought it was a hurried rush shot considering that Beal had just been – Beal had just hit two or three in a row. And I felt like that was the time you run a play and a set for Beal to get him a shot, or you run – you give it to Beal and have him go off Gortat on a pick and roll. And, and John just goes down and tries to – I think he was trying to maybe do a two-for-one again. Didn't work out. Miss it. So they go back on defense, and the Wizards were down one at the time. I think they were down one. And then Jeremy, then Wall on out-of-bounds doesn't pay attention to Jeremy Lin in the corner, gets sucked in, and Jeremy Lin gets an open three, and he hits it. And pretty much the Wizards were couldn't couldn't get back. They, they did have a chance. They were down three with like eight seconds with no timeouts. Charlotte fouled John Wall who made the first, and then on the second one, he tried to miss and didn't hit the rim, and that was pretty much the game. It might be an over critical on Wall in this place. I felt that, you know, obviously they're not in, in it if John Wall doesn't play well. He had 23 points and 10 assists, but he was a negative plus 15 on the plus minus. It just seemed like the key significant moments there at the end that could have really changed the momentum of maybe this season going into the All-Star break a little bit of, you know, getting this big road victory and then and having two wins in a row, which this team has struggled with all year, just just a two-game winning streak. Am I being overcritical on John Wall, or did you see the same things I did? No, I think he deserves that criticism. But, you know, part of it is he and Beal just, I mean, this sounds silly to say, but they're still getting used to each other. And, you know, Beal has been out. He's just now getting back. He's not on the court consistently, and... You know, maybe Wall is used to Temple being on the court, but I remember that play because I was thinking when he was coming on the court, okay, feed the hot hand, feed the hot hand, because Bill can get his shot in the way that Wall can't. And you're right, he didn't even look at Bill. He didn't even look his direction. He just shot the shot. And, you know, when Wall is hot like he was against the Warriors, that's fine. But that's not a natural look for him to come down and just shoot off the dribble. That's, that's not his... That's not his thing, and frankly, it's a waste of his talent for him to do that. He's good at drawing the defense to him and then deciding what he's going to do. So that 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 was concerning. But going back to Otto Porter, that's one of the reasons why he's one of the reasons why I thought the Wizards were going to win against the Hornets because he didn't show up against the Sixers, and 
you know, Jared Dudley said after the game he had a sore hip, and you know he alluded to that. And I, I jokingly wrote that maybe it was the trade rumors that got to him, but he just was very passive on both ends of the floor. And it's like he came out against Charlotte and was killing it. And defense he, too. He was he really good. good. He's he's really he was really good on defense as well, not just offense. Right, and when he's at his best, he's scoring. He's not gunning, but he's scoring in the flow of the game. He's getting his hands on balls. And, you know, if Otto Porter is going to give you 19 points in the first half, anything Bill and Wall do are gravy. And it just seemed like in the second half, it just, you know, it, it, it didn't click. And as I was watching the game, I'm, I'm sure I was thinking that Randy Whitman somewhere is saying, you know, we're just getting our guys back. We're just trying to learn each other, and that sounds good. But that's just not. It's, it 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 doesn't it doesn't fly. You know, at some point, you you have to make the correct play. You have to have the correct lineup on there. And against the team, as uh, Sean Porter pointed out in his summary of the Charlotte game, you can't afford to blow two nineteen point leads against a team that you're trying to catch to get into the playoffs. Like, just like you can't afford to flirt with a loss against a team that is the worst. Team in the NBA, those are, those are wins that you should have. You lose to Golden State, it's not a big deal if you beat the Sixers handily and you beat the Hornets. So that that's another frustrating part. Like who in the locker room is looking at everyone and saying, "Look, if we beat this team, we're one step closer to making the playoffs." I'm assuming that was Paul Pierce last year. I don't know who it is this year. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, Bradley Bill. He had 22 points in the game, plus minus a plus 13. He was three or four from threes. So you kind of maybe see the Bradley. Be- and he was, I thought he was really good against the Sixers, too. And he had some highlights against the Warriors. Like I mentioned, he didn't shoot that well, but he had some great drives. We're seeing some flashes. He's getting his feet back in. I'm really excited what I'm seeing out of Bradley. And, you know, he didn't start versus Charlotte. He only played 20 minutes. So they're trying to limit his minutes still on back-to-backs, which is understandable. But I do agree that he should have started in the Warriors game. And there is maybe some little rust of Wall and him, which does seem kind of bizarre on the surface, of them kind of reading each other there on the court because they really haven't played much together this season. So going back to, to Otto, how would you evaluate Otto in the season so far? Because he did have an amazing half for Charlotte. He, you know, you referenced the Philly game where he disappeared, and you also highlighted his disappearing act against the Warriors. It has been kind of weird over the last few weeks. And before the Charlotte game, I was thinking, you know, he just kind of is out there a lot. It's like one of those things. Like the worst thing you can say about players, like, did he play? You know, <laughs> like, like did he? Because you kind of know when someone's like doing stuff, they're not making shots. But when someone's you look down, you're like, oh wow, he did play. I don't really remember him doing much. And maybe that's a testament to what you're mentioning, that he isn't making those hustle plays and the defensive plays like we saw in the first half for Charlotte. And so what do, what are we to really make of Otto? I, I've been harsh to criticize him uh, too much. He is playing with a torn labrum, partially torn in his hip. How much pain he's going through, you know, I really don't know. He's obviously you know, well enough to play, you know, albeit at, you know, at a high level. So how where were we... How would you evaluate what you've seen out of Otto this year from a, more of a holistic thing, not just the last couple of games? I mean, I, I think Otto, what's going on with Otto Porter is what's going on with all the Wizards, where you want to pass judgment on them, but you can't because you don't know how healthy they are. And so you find yourself waiting to get that, okay, he's healthy, and evaluate him. And he just he's not as active. He's not as aggressive on the offensive end. And 
there's a reason, again, not to swing on, you know, Kelly Oubre's nuts here, but there's a reason why when Oubre was playing, there were, there were whispers that, you know, should Oubre start over Otto Porter? I don't think Oubre is as polished as Porter, but he was just aggressive. He was making things happen. He was You he noticed was him. The break. You noticed him, right? That's my point, right? <laughs> right. I mean, I think even uh, somebody from Bullets Forever was like, you know, when Oubre's out there, he's always in the middle of something. I mean, yes, he still commits dumb fouls and takes bad shots, but like you said, you notice him that he's out there and he's making something happen. And so, again, I don't want to criticize Otto. If he's hurt, he's not at full speed, then you know, maybe he shouldn't be out there. Or maybe he should be playing lesser minutes. But So I think it's tough to evaluate him. He's clearly not playing with the amount of confidence he played with in last year's playoffs and towards the end of last season. So something is up, but... That's that's not his fault. There are players on that roster who can step in and do an admirable job and you know, while he's trying to recover. So, you know, there are I don't know if you saw the report where they may put him at four. Yes. Uh so I mean, maybe uh, that'll revitalize him. Uh, yeah, Ottawa at four. I don't you know, we'll we'll see, but I'd much rather have him at the four than Drew Gooden. Uh but I don't I don't know. I mean he's he's clearly not the same player. I don't want to spend as to why, but it's hurting the team, particularly, and again, we're halfway through the season, we shouldn't still be mentioning Paul Pierce, but, you know, Paul Pierce started slow and ended with a bang. It was like a slow crescendo towards the end of the year, and I don't see anything like that out of out of, out of right now. So, so that, I think that ties into my other point, which you've already made many times, my free Kelly Oubre uh, movement. I guess, you know, a hashtag free Kelly Oubre. And it's, it's like you, like you, you have reference. It's not like he's just going to all of a sudden be so awesome or such a all-star player. The Wizards, are, their whole fortunes are going to change if we put Kelly Oubre in. It's not that. But when you see Neil and Sessions playing defense terribly together, especially together, and Drew Gooden trying to be the last line of defense, and I see that over and over, and then I see a young... 20-year-old with, with, with ups, who's in the passing lanes, who's finishing athletically, that can knock down an open shot, who looks like he's belong. We've had multiple, multiple podcasts about that being the praise of, of Kelly. And he's far from polished, definitely, as he should be expected. He'd be a sophomore at Kansas right now, at currently. So then when he can't get minutes, he didn't play against Golden State, which seemed like a game that you would want him to play with his athleticism. Played one minute versus Philly. Seems like another game you would want to maybe give the Rook some run against the worst team. And then in true Whitman fashion, he throws him in, has not played at all the whole game against Charlotte. Throws him in to begin the fourth quarter. And the first time he gets the ball, he steps out of bounds <laughs> for a turnover. I think I tweeted uh, Whitman won uh, Wizard Twitter zero. But then he actually got you know got a rebound, did some things. He was only in for four minutes. I don't know why you put him in a tight game in that situation on the road. And he haven't really played him for a few weeks now. I thought that was really bizarre timing to just throw the kid out there in that situation. Why not do it in Philly the night before, against Philly the night before? Where are you at on the free Kelly Oubre movement? I feel you're already there with me, but just you know, reiterate why uh, we're correct or why this movement has merit. Okay, it would be different. I think right before the Philly game. Uh... Um, ben, Sandic. help me out. Ben Sandic posted this uh, graphic of basically showing Otto Porter's minutes his rookie year, 
as as proof that you know Whitman just doesn't do well with young players. And you know my internet was bad, as you can attest to, so I couldn't respond to Ben the way I wanted to. But the difference with Otto is he came into that year injured, and so he never had a training camp. He never it's like he was always one step behind. So of course he wasn't going to play. But Kelly Oubre played well in summer league. You know, he made his mistakes. But when there were a lot of injuries and he was thrown into tough situations, he responded. He played better. His shot got better. His shot, his shot selection improved. And he was just he was a beast on the break, and he was just a nuisance on defense. And you could see that he was improving. And I, I wish I had the exact quotes. Even Whitman was like, he's improving. He's coming along. He's playing defense. And if he keeps doing that, he'll earn more and more playing time. And then, all of a sudden, players started getting healthy, and his minutes, it seemed like rather abruptly, just started decreasing, and now they're non-existent. And, you know, it's not, not like I don't This isn't even like when Kelly Oubre sat last year in camp, because he sat for a long time, and then he started playing better, and then he started getting more playing time, and then he, you know, he kept going up and up here. It was, you know, it was imitating the arc in Kansas. He was playing better. He got more playing time. And then he just got it in a way. This is with the confidence of him. And at the end of the Golden State game, he just looked dejected. Like, early in the year when he wasn't playing, he was clapping. He was into it. You see him joking around with Jared Dudley or Allen Anderson. He looked dejected at the end of that Golden State game. And it makes sense that when he comes in the Charlotte game, he's going to make a couple mistakes because he's now messed with the confidence of a young man. That's not what you do. You know, it's like what Byron Scott is doing with well, Russell. With Russell, but <laughs> right. I mean, these are these are players who, when you're a rookie, it's not just about ability; it's about confidence. And one of the things that coaches always say is you have to earn playing time. And if you're doing what the coach is asking you to do, and if you're playing defense, which again, no rookie wants to do, you should be rewarded with playing time. I don't understand why at no point during that Golden State game, why don't you put Uber in? You know, have him guard Sean Livingston or have him shadow Clay Thompson. Just just give him an assignment that's, deep, that's centered around defense and have him do something. That's that's what a good coach does. And if he burns you, then you sit him. It's a teachable moment. And you say, look, next time I put you in, you need to do this, this, and that. I, I don't see that happening. He should be playing. And number one, he should be playing. But number two, if you're going to make a trade, if you're thinking about making one, you really want to know what, what you have. And Kelly Oubre, and right now, I don't think they know what they have. So, yeah, why I, take him that high in the draft? Why praise him for his defense, which is something that Whitman doesn't often do, and then bury him on the bench like he's Mateen Cleaves? You know, I, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, and this team really can use his athleticism. I mean, they this is an old team. I mean, aside from John Wall and Bradley Bill, which I don't know how much we want Bradley Bill making crazy athletic plays considering his injury history. They really have no no guys with some ups in their legs. No guys that can go up and go up and get it. I mean, how many how many alley oops has John Wall really thrown this year? <laughs> Not at all. But but you, I just feel like you have a youthful guy that that's on the bench. And you don't really have a bunch of dudes burning up, and you're not doing that well. As I've as I've referenced earlier, the three and eight in the last eleven games, it just seems that there's no real huge downside to letting Kelly Oubre play, especially when. You would argue 
Whitman would always argue, oh, hey, you got to play defense. It's how, you, it's how you get playing time in this league. Play defense. Well, he's shown that he's been able to play defense. Yes, he does foul a little bit. I think some of that is getting screwed by the refs a little bit. Some of it is him trying to figure out, you know, what calls are going to make on him and, and, and the what better positioning in the NBA. But there's a desire and a will to play defense that, that we you don't you didn't really see out of maybe a JaVel, a, 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 an Andre, or, or Nick Young when they were young. So you can make those arguments. That's why they're not playing because they weren't playing defense. And now you have you have a kid that is playing defense, and then he you do start him out of necessity and injuries. And they just don't give him more run. It's it's confusing. It's perplexing. And like you mentioned, it's really hurting the flexibility of of some trade some trade possibilities of the Wizards, which is a segue to our next segment. Uh, it was wait, report- wait, Adam. Do, oh, you want to finish us, up? Yeah, let us not besmirch the untainted legacy of Kelly Oubre by mentioning him in the same breath as <laughs> how, how dare you? <laughs> do Chris not Sing- do that. Chris Singleton? You want to mention Chris Singleton, Seraphin, Jordan Crawford? Okay. Uh, how, how much, John Besley? How much do you Al want to go? Al Thornton. Oh, Al Thornton never played any defense. Jeez, that guy. He was a sieve on defense. But I guess my point is them being rookies and them not them being clueless when it comes to defense. And that's why they you couldn't really you could argue you could see the argument why they shouldn't play, even though the Wizards had to basically play them because they were building for the future or whatever whatever they were doing for those years that we struggled through this team. But yes, point taken. Point taken. So there was reported that the Cavs were interested in Jared Dudley to make a to make a trade. The Wizards rebuffed their advances. There was also uh, Blake Griffin rumors to be traded from the Clippers after his situation has has gotten weird out of L.A. beating up his boy. Uh, the the trade scenario in that situation. So basically, they're trying to trade him to every team, and the one that I think the Washington Post columnist Tim. Bonatemps came up with was the Wizards would send Bradley Beal, Otto Porter, Jared Dudley, Nene, and an unprotected first-round pick to the Clippers for Griffin, Stevenson, and C.J. Wilcox. Uh, also, the trade deadline is coming up in two weeks, less than two weeks. It will be on February 18th. Are the Wizards sellers or buyers, or pretty much, is the question. First, first things first, the Dudley trade... I guess it kind of ties into the Wizards being buyers or sellers. Your thoughts? We're starting the trade speculation. It's kind of hard to see. I think the Wizards are going to stay pat personally, but what should they do here? On the, on the Dudley trade, would you trade him to the, to the evil Cavs? I would not. Yes. I mean, Dudley is, I mean, granted, he can't do it for extended minutes, but he is an excellent three-point shooter. He plays defense well in spots, and he is the closest thing you have to a vocal leader on that team. And to trade him, again, if this were two years ago and the Wizards had never made the playoffs and they were just an up-and-coming team, maybe I'd trade him. But he's, he, I just think that he's the perfect player to have. If they're lucky enough to make the playoffs, he's a threat. And you trade him to me, which you're telling the franchise, I mean, what you're telling the fans and what you're telling everyone else is, we're giving up on the season. And so... If they make that move and they get rid of Dudley, then you might as well fire Whitman and just let's just have a party and <laughs> let's just really start rebuilding. So I, di- I didn't like that trade. The Blake Griffin trade, I don't know what I don't know how you felt, but it was just tremendously one sided yeah. for a player who number one is injury prone. I'm not even counting that fight because that 
that's that's not him. He doesn't do that normally. It's not like he's the other player who we were going to get, which is Lance Stevenson. You know, that's. <laughs> I mean, this. If you're going to board have, ready, board ready, baby, board ready. <laughs> if you're going to take two players who have gotten in trouble, isn't that moving backwards? Aren't you back to where you were in 2010? You know, that's that's just. I mean, I I do think the Wizards should be buyers, but not those trades. There needs to be a little more thought put behind these trades. And, you know, I think, I don't know if the Wizards are ready to admit that we have no shot at getting Durant, which is what both of these trades signify. I don't know if they're ready to admit that. But, you know, something, and I mean, we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but something has to be done. Either you have to make a trade or you have to fire the coach, but you have to do something because... People are losing, and it's not just Wizards, writers in this town, it's not just us, it's not just Bullets Forever. You know, I've seen other writers say the Wizards need to do something, and they're inconsistent. You see it on Inside the NBA. Something needs to be done, and, you know, I I just, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it needs to be something drastic, because right now, they're in the worst spot you want to be in, which is, you're not a lottery team, but you're not a playoff team, you're just in... You're in Phoenix Suns territory, where you're just in the middle, and it's just, it's just bad. It's just bad. I'm happy they didn't make those trades, but yeah, I don't think some, they should, something. I don't. I mean, the Griffin set aside the Griffin trade. That's just pie in the sky internet speculation. The Dudley trade, I think there is some meat to it in the sense that I think the Cavs are interested, and Dudley is playing on a you know non get or this is his last year of a deal, so. I don't, and then it looks like the Cavs only would have an unprotected first-round pick of 2018. They do have a trade exception. I don't know if the Wizards would want a trade exception, potentially. I think that's a good move for Cavs. But I think I, I also believe that it does signify that they're giving up on the season and giving up on a playoff a playoff push, which, once again, even though the Wizards are 22-27, and 27, they are only four losses from number four. In the loss columns, there are only five losses for number three. There are only two losses out of the number eight spot. So, you know, it's not like they're... A lot of onlys. A lot of onlys. I know, a lot of onlys. I know. I keep saying... Well, i got to get some positive pixels. They're not in free fall like the New York Knicks or the Magic, who have really struggled lately. But but going back to the original point, why do you why do you see them as buyers more than sellers, or do you see them just staying pat? Ultimately, I think they're going to stay pat because I think that they want to have some flexibility next year. And I think, I mean, just listening to Coach Whitman talk, and to, I still think they believe that once everybody is healthy consistently, they can make a run. Like if Bill is back in the starting lineup and if Nene is back, you know, with playing the, the center on the backup unit, I think they believe that they can make the playoffs and they can make a run. And so... Ultimately, I think they'll stay pat, but I I just think they're in denial. I think that so much has happened, and the confidence is not there. I, I just think that they need to do something. and But to do that, you have to actually make a realistic assessment of all your players. Like, if you're thinking about getting rid of Otto or you're thinking about getting rid of Dudley, then you have to play Oubre a little more than you do. So, you know, that, I just I just think they're going to they're gonna stand pat. That's what the Wizards do. No, I, yeah, because I think playing Neil and Gooden so much it doesn't really help you that much in the short term or the long term. It's very confusing. So let's go into the elephant in the room. You've mentioned it. You've alluded to it. You've hinted at it. You flirted at it. Uh, the future of Mr. Randy Whitman. 
I've talked about it last in the podcast a couple times with other people. I have not got you on the record. Derek Fisher was fired today with the New York Knicks. They are 1-9 in the last 10 games. Jeff Hornacek was finally let go by the Suns. Uh, Mike from Bullets, or from Bullets Forever for now from SB Nation tweeted out that there have now been 50 teams, sometimes multiple times, there have been 50 coach moves since Randy Whitman was hired in January 2012. So there have been 50 coaches have have changed hands, head coaching jobs since Randy Whitman was given the job four years ago. That obviously speaks to the weird, I guess not the weirdness, the volatility of being a head coach in the NBA, but also to the fact that Randy Whitman is really riding a lot of this out on some post two postseason successes. Where do you stand on the future of Randy Whitman? Would you, do you think that he should be, you talked about change. Is that the change that you would possibly suggest? And if so, why do you think that would make the, would be change for change sake? Or do you think that would actually improve the things here or something needs to, something needs to happen here for the Wizards or they're just kind of stuck in this rut? Well, I think a comfortable conversation to have is that I don't think they're going to do anything because just from a personal standpoint, Randy Whitman has had a tough year where he's lost the guy who gave him his first shot at coaching and he lost his brother. And I think that the momentum before he lost his brother, there was certainly more than enough ammunition to fire him and now it's like, it's just one of those things you just feel dirty if you do it. Even heartless, though, heartless. You know, there, there's plenty of, there's plenty of data where you can say you need to be gone, but it's just a little heartless. So, and I don't, you know, I was going to tweet this and then I didn't want to tweet it because it's just an uncomfortable conversation to have. But I don't think that aspect of it can be discounted, number one. But... Well, people are human beings, even people in charge. Right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but I was watching NBA TV on Saturday, and David Aldridge was talking about the possibility of George Carl being fired. And, you know, David Aldridge was getting a little pissed. He was like, you can't keep making changes. He was like, there's been so much instability in that Kings organization. At some point, you have to sit still and let these things, you know, let George Carl's system let he and Boogie Cousins and Rondo let them get used to one another. There's been so much roster turnover there in the front office. It was chaotic. And David Aldridge was like, they're not sitting still enough to let at least one part of their franchise take flight. And I was sitting there listening to that, thinking the Wizards are the, the exact opposite. Like, I mean, since 2012, there was a little ascent, and now they're declining. Coaches have been fired for less. You know, Derek Fisher got fired. David Black got fired because there was a certain amount of momentum that both teams were building and they had some setbacks. And the front office and LeBron decided that, wait a minute, we can't get to where we get, where we want to be on this current path. We need to switch up. Not, not for the short term, but for the long term. And that type of evaluation has not happened with the Wizards. I mean, you know, You've been in that locker room before, and I've, I've heard people say this off the record about how it doesn't look like Bill even likes Whitman. You know, he just doesn't... Whitman will say something in the press conference, and he'll ask Bill about it, and he'll have this look like, yeah, whatever, man. You know that's not true. Yeah, he rolls, you know, his, so eye, he rolls his eyes. I think it was after the Charlotte game. The last Charlotte game, they collapsed over Thanksgiving. Right. He kind of rolled his eyes and just gave a, you know, whatever, whatever he said. I don't... 
I don't really care or something. It seems really bizarre. <laughs> right. And so and that's not even Bill's he's not even like that. I mean he's 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 a positive guy. I mean he's not as he's not a Bible thumper like Nanny, but he's he's a positive guy and for him to be that demonstrative in his body language is not a good omen. And I just think that he has lost the locker room. Now he got it back in that Houston game, but come on. I mean that again, that was purely based on emotion. Everybody's human. You know your coach's brother has died and you know your coach is hurting, you're going to play for him because you're not robots. But you take that game out of the mix, he came back against Philly and against Charlotte and there was nothing there. And I just, I don't think he has that locker room anymore. When you combine that with the fact that he doesn't know how to navigate his way through the small lineup and he's uncomfortable with it and his default move is to go back and put Nene and Gortat together, I just I just think it's a problem, and I don't think much like Eddie Jordan. I think Wendy Randy Whitman has taken this team as far as it can go, and somebody has to step in and be the John Gruden to his Tony Dungy and take them further than he can. Because I just Steve I don't, Kurt, I don't think Steve Kerr to Mark Jackson, right? <laughs> 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 well, 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 how are we replacing him now? I mean, because what I've seen, who would be the replacement? Don Newman? He's got health issues. Who do you put in? Howard Isley? Do you go? I don't know. I don't see the answers from a new coach coming in. I don't see the answers on the bench. And, and what I see on Don Newman, he kind of was just like Randy, if not worse, with some of his lineups and, and conservative moves that he made during the during his time. So I don't really see an internal, eternal move actually helping the team. And I've I think you just got to ride it out with Whitman, and that's your best case. And if they don't make the playoffs, you fire him. If he doesn't do well, you replace him, and you go a different direction. I don't see a move happening for moving. Like the logistics around the move doesn't – I don't think it's wise. I don't think it's going to get the positive output. It's just change for change's sake. But, but I also believe all the critics of, of Randy Whitman and everything they have to say about him, I, I agree with them more than I disagree. Yeah, that's what um, I guess was that Brian Windhorse was saying on Zach Lowe's podcast that you know his sources were saying that it's not necessarily that the Wizards don't think they need to keep Randy Whitman, but if not him, then who? And that's that, that's a fair point. I mean, there's no Sam Cassell on that bench where you feel comfortable with giving the reins to someone else. I, I just I don't know. This just feels like one of those seasons that's a lost season and. There are other teams in the East, like New York. I mean, I know New York has faltered as of late, but overall, this is still a better season for them. New York and Boston and Charlotte. So many teams are playing better, and the Wizards just they're treading water. It's just it's just frustrating. Like you said, they can't fire the coach. People have been injured. They're not going to get Durant. So what's what's the plan for next year? Well, I still I'm still holding out hope. I'm a positive person here, I guess. I'm still holding the hope for the playoffs, and I'm still holding hope that Kevin Durant, a new photographer for the Super Bowl, I tweeted today at the White House photographer and asked him if he could help recruit Kevin Durant to D.C., and he, he tweeted back at me, to what, he said, well, he could probably do my job a lot better than I could do his, which is really, <laughs> which is, which is really funny. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, but I was like, hey, man, what, what we got to do? We got to... Hey, if Kevin Durant wants to take some photos, I'm going to start hollering at DC photo people to hook him up. <laughs> to get him to play. I mean, I'm going to go to, to every stop. But, but yes, you're correct. 
it can't just be all about Kevin Durant. So to move on here, an injury update. This injury update is provided to you by DC Brow again. Go get some DC Brow. Go to Purple Patch, a restaurant in my neighborhood in Mount Pleasant, DC. Go check it out. Some good food. Uh, they give me no money. I'm just just prepping them up. The injury report: uh, Chris Humphrey still has been out with a sore knee forever. Nene missed the last two games with that same calf that he's been battling. The reports today that Nene practiced in full and that Humphreys hopes to play. So maybe we will get them back. Chris Humphreys has almost missed two months with a day-to-day sore knee. Rashad, are you are you surprised? <laughs> The day-to-day injury that lasts two months. <laughs> of course, I'm not surprised. And and when I say we need to see what the Wizards look like when everyone returns from injury, I did not have Chris Humphreys in mind. Um, so I, I mean, I don't think that he can affect the outcome of this team. When he was playing, he was trying to drive from the three-point line and finish like he was LeBron. So that's yeah. that's no good. But Nene, Nene, on a serious note, does make a difference. I mean, his physicality. If he's starting, he's, he seems to be a little more aggressive. But even when he's coming off the bench, there's no bench player, no bench big man who can guard him. And so he makes a difference. He definitely adds a certain attitude to the team. Um, but, I mean, he's been in the league long enough to know that you can't count on Nene. You just accept whatever he can get her. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I'd really be more interested to see what's going on with Alan Anderson. I mean, I've... It's like they just stopped giving updates on him. At first, it was he'll be back after the All Star break. Then he had a second surgery, and now it's just like, aside from the, the glorious three point dance, he hasn't really done much. So. Well, the, the updates we'll give will be like, oh, he's shooting threes today. Timetable right. soon. And you know, he was practicing supposedly three weeks ago. Still nothing. Maybe they're waiting till after the All Star break. I don't know. I, I was told I should just give up. I think Troy told me just to give up. On Alan Anderson, I'm still holding out hope for him as well. Another update that they have announced to make up uh, the date for the, the Utah Jazz home game that was canceled uh, po- or postponed due to the snow the snowzilla storm we had. It will be on February 18th at home, which then will make the Wizards play three straight games similar to the lockout season. They will play the Jazz at home the next night. They'll play the Pistons, and then the following evening they will travel to Miami to play the Heat, so it's three straight games. They're going to have to cut their All-Star break vacation a day short to make this game up. So that's kind of a bummer. So I guess the whole the whole league can watch the Wizards and the Jazz play on that, the day before everyone else uh, plays. You know, if Whitman is smart, he'll pull a Popovich and just rest the All-Starter and just have an unconventional starting lineup because that's just, for players like Beal and Nene and all these players with nagging injuries, that's just... It's a trap. You know, just the middle game against Utah, just throw whatever lineup out there because, you know, they they need games. I mean, they, they need to win games, so they just can't afford to to throw games away. I understand that. But three games in a row where injury-prone teams, it's just, it's just very dangerous. It's kind of mean. I mean, I, I have to look at the schedule, but there's, there's nothing else that could have done except three games in a row. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I thought that was a tough one, that they would put it on a back-to-back, especially with the travel day uh, in mind. Also today, they released uh, local TV ratings uh, for local TV coverage of your NBA team. Where would you guess, I don't know if you saw this, Rashad, where would you guess the Wizards are? <laughs> Did you see this? 
I didn't say it, but I'd say maybe they're 25th. They are third to last. Yes, they, they actually look worse. The Brooklyn Nets are in last at point four seven. This is for this season games up till January. Uh, Memphis, Utah, and Toronto were not in here, so I guess you were maybe correct if you take them out. Denver was point nine three. The Wizards are point nine six. For comparison's sakes, Cleveland is nine point four four. Spurs are 8.74, the Warriors are 8.42, the Thunder are 6.70, and the Heat are still 4.42. Philadelphia has more fans watching them in Philadelphia on their thing than the Wizards. They are 1.07. I, I don't know what those actually ratings mean. Probably, I don't know, 100,000 viewers, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Uh, what's the span of time? Like, what's the For this season through, uh, beginning of the season through January. But okay. the Korean, I do know that... The Wizards, you know, they. It's tough to contend with the, the Redskins and, and the Cavs going on, and the Cavs so, too, right? I mean, I, right, I'd like so. to see the Cavs rankings because I bet they're a lot higher for the NHL. But the most troubling thing, and I guess it does make sense that the the change from last year, the Wizards had the the most negative drop in the league. They have decreased by thirty four percent. So it's thirty four percent less people watching them on CSN Mid Atlantic. This year than last. So even though they're last, the Golden State has increased. So Golden State is tops, of, and they've done almost 120 percent. Just something to note. I wanted to make note of it. You know, we want more people watching, pretending, following this. This is why we do a podcast on this team. This is why we write about them. And it's kind of, I don't know. It. I wouldn't say kind of. It is just depressing. It's sad to see the the local interest of the team drop. But it makes sense considering the success where it is. I just wish that you know, what they've had over the last postseason had carried over. But like I've seen with John Wall's All Star numbers, it just it just hasn't. Any reason why is all team success? You think? Well, the team success. You're trotting out a lineup with Garrett Temple, no Bradley Beal. There's no Paul Pierce. There's no there's no hot start like there was last year. I mean they. They have just been mediocre to bad all season, and I mean that's that's not attractive to watch. You know, I mean, I I really think that had Paul Pierce come back, there would have been. I mean, let's do the the smell test. When I was in the barber shop after Paul Pierce left, a couple of my barbers were like, you know, I don't I don't want to see this team. You know, with Pierce they could have done something, or if everybody had come back, they could have done something, and there was no real big move, at least to the an average fan, there were no big moves made. You're just relying on Wall and Bill, and then Bill gets hurt, and then Nene gets hurt, and you're trotting out these lineups that with Temple and Ubre, and we appreciate Ubre, but if as a fan, he's untested, and you're just seeing these unfamiliar lineups. The losses are mounting up, and they're not playing as well. I mean, Wall struggled through, you know, October and November. It just adds up to, as you said earlier, a malaise that's hard to come back from. Now, granted. They can get all this back if they go on a win streak. If they win those three games they play in a row, just coming out of the break, they can they can still gin up some some momentum. But right now, it's just been a malaise with the team, and they're not one of the top teams in the East. They're not jockeying for a four or five spot. They're they're they'd be lucky to get an eight spot to meet the Cavs right now. And so, you know, the Wizards haven't been good for that long for them to have one bad year and the fans to give them the benefit of the doubt. No, they aren't the Redskins or even the Caps. I mean, three years ago, 
this team was, was out of the playoffs, and they just haven't built that momentum yet. No, that, that totally makes sense. Speaking of the All-Star game, John Wall was selected for the third straight year. No other players are going to participate in anything. So we have no Ubre in the Rising Star Challenge, which obviously I guess makes sense. I think the format is now different with the international. They go international American teams instead of rookie sophomores, which which then allows for more second-year players. I don't think there's very many first-year players on the team. And uh, no Jared Dudley on the three-point contest, even though he is currently third in the NBA at 46.4%. Dudley was kind of upset about it. He gave some good answers that, you know, hey, I'm starting. In the past, I've been a high percentage, but I've been a bench player. I understand. Uh, I liked his quote, though. That being said, I was going to have to cut my Cayman Island trips the couple's day I had, so I can't be mad too much. It's not a bad consolation. You know, it's like, it has a good, good sense of humor about it. Your thoughts on Wall making the team? Was it deserved? And how about Dudley in the three-point contest? Yeah, I think I think Wall deserves to make the team. I mean, I the, uh, last week I was watching NBA TV, and you know, I listened to the elder Isaiah Thomas make the point that the younger Isaiah Thomas should make the team because he is leading his team as a better record than the Celtics, and he's carrying a burden and successfully, whereas Wall is trying. to to carry a burden and he's not doing it as well. I mean, I, I understood that logic. I think that, you know, you don't have the month of December that Wall had and you don't have to carry the burden of not having everybody helping and being the focal point night after night and not make the team. His numbers are too good for him not to make it. So I'm glad he's on the team. He didn't deserve to start, but I'm glad he's on the team. As far as Jared Dudley, there's just... I mean, I'm sure Jared Dudley's been in the league long enough to know there's nothing sexy about having Jared Dudley in the three-point contest. You know, he just doesn't, you know, he doesn't do it for anybody. You know, you can have Chris Bosh in there. You can have Curry and Thompson. Those are players who have appeal. Jared Dilley doesn't, and I'm sure he understands that. So, you know, he deserves to be on there. Um, but and plus, he's just one of the good guys in the NBA. He's one of those people who a lot of people like. He's a good talker. So, but again, it's just, it's just not a, a sexy pick. So I'm not as outraged about that. I had Wall not made the team. I'd have been outraged about that, but, you know. It's just kind of... No, keep going. It's kind of just bittersweet that last year both Lowry and Wall were on the team, and they seemed like both teams on the rise, and it's just, you know, Toronto has moved up even further, and Wall and the Wizards have kind of sank. It's just... I don't know. It's, it's, it's depressing to see what this team is compared to where Toronto is. Who the Wizards swept. You know, it's like they've just gone a completely different direction. The Wizards have fallen apart. We swept the North. Now they're hosting the All-Star game with two got two players, a starter. They're battling Cleveland for possibly a number one seed. Outside chance two of that. Two games back. Yeah, outside chance. And here the Wizards are five games below 500. And I'm hoping they beat the Knicks and the Bucks in the next two games. Their, their game is tomorrow night, Tuesday night against the Knicks, and then the last game before the break, Thursday night against the Bucks. They're 3-0 versus the Bucks this season already for some weird reason of the schedule. So maybe they have the Bucks number. They are 0-1 versus the Knicks. I think this is the first trip to New York. They lost on Halloween to uh, Carmelo, went off on Dudley on that game, if I remember correctly, early, early in the season, second game. What... 
should we expect to these last two games, 2-0, and 1-1, lose both? And what kind of momentum, can they build any type of momentum going, you talked about momentum, but can they build any type of goodwill going into this break? Because if this is a team that needs a week off, I think it's them. From from being an older team with some health issues, but just mentally drained with what's been going on with Whitman, you know the losing, no consistency. I think this team needs a just needs four or five days away from basketball, maybe away from each other. Honestly, I, I agree with that, and I, I think zero and two is disastrous. I think one and one is, is bad if they win the first game and lose the second. You know, I, I just I think they have to end on a high note. So whether that's winning two in a row or losing the first and winning the second. They have to go on on a high note because I don't think you want if you if you play for the Wizards and you're not going to Toronto. I don't think you want to be in this town if you lose the last game before the All Star break. You find yourself six or seven games back of the last spot, and you're just you're just treading water as all these other teams are making trades. And I just I think that's a bad place to be. So they have to win that last game before the All Star break, and then. If you're Whitman and the coaching staff, you can sell yourself and your players on, okay, we've had this time off. We ended on the high note. Let, let's keep it going. Um, because the season can go downhill very quickly. I mean, those three games coming at the, at the break, if they lose all three, that's it. I guess it's, it's a wrap. And that's not even that they can't. I mean, you can conjure up these scenarios by which they can still climb back in the playoffs. But at some point, you have to look at the space between where the Wizards are and where the eighth team is and realize they're that far back for a reason. You know, it's not all injuries. It's just not that good. And they're going to run out of time. So th- there has to be something good that happens so that you can sell Wogs and sell Bill and say, okay, here we come. Because as it is, they play two good games. They play bad ones. They're not playing well at, hall- at home at all, which is has to be really demoralizing. That's one of the things that Paul Pierce fought so hard to get this team to believe in. It's been totally dismantled. And there just has to be some iota of good news that Whitman and Wall and everyone can build on going into after the break. Because, it, I mean, I don't, I don't know. If you're a player, I don't know how you can be looking forward to playing three games in a row after the All-Star break. That's just that's mentally tough. Oh, if, they, if they lose these next two games and end up at the break 22 and 29 and have those three straight out of the gate, they could go 22 and 32 and lose six in a row, potentially. Uh, yeah, I think that's game, set, match. <laughs> so they have to split. <laughs> I, I, I can't spin the positive one. I mean, they, have to, they have to split these two games. They have to a split at minimum. They can get 2-0. Say they win two out of three, you know. Say they take the Jazz. People are kind of still hungover from their vacations. You're out. You're out west. You're. You know, I mean, you're out east. Different time. The Pistons. You know, that'll be a tough. That'll be a tough one at home. They they can't beat the Pistons. I think they'll probably lose that Miami game because they'll probably be dead. But who knows with this team? I can't predict anything. They, they they make absolutely no sense. They play the Warriors really tough. They came back. Look like they're going to fall apart. Like we mentioned. Lost a winnable game against Charlotte, fell apart again. Another it wasn't a historical offensive collapse like it was in their game in Charlotte over Thanksgiving. But then don't put away the Sixers in in like they should. I mean, when the game got, you know, I guess I'm rehashing everything we we mentioned earlier. But who knows? That's the point. Who knows what to make of this team, Rashad? But it has been a blast. I we have went over time, but we had we touched on almost every topic and. Now your quota of coming on 
is you might be the best now of the, the Truth About It crew. So gold star for you. I'll buy you a, a nice bottle of uh, red wine next time I see you. Or at least at least a glass of wine. And we, we can get Kyle back on. I know Kyle's been traveling and he's got some per- – some family stuff going on that he actually has a legitimate excuse with me, so I can't. I haven't gave him much shit on the last few podcasts, but hopefully we can get us three on. Maybe over the break we can maybe do some positive things. I don't know. We'll see. Do you have, do you have any anything to say uh, to the people before before we call it a wraps? Well, first I, I thank you for complimenting me. You know, I just I try to take it one podcast at a time and give one hundred fifty percent. So, thank you. You but, don't look forward. You know, don't look forward. Take it, take it one game at a time. Don't look forward, Rashad. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we spewed a lot of negative things about the team, but if you really sit down and look at it, they are going to get healthy. They're not that many games back, and they have the talent to easily string together four or five games in a row and get back in the playoffs. So the, I guess I feel like a parent here, but if they didn't have the talent, I wouldn't expect so much out of them, but they, they have the talent there. They've done it before with a few minor lineup changes. And, you know, I'd like to be sitting here next month saying, wow, they turned it around. They're right back in the playoff hunt because they're not a team. If they do get some momentum, they're not a team that Cleveland, definitely not Toronto, want to see in the playoffs. So I'd like to be having those conversations about their upset chances rather than can they even get in the playoffs. So, I do think they can do it. I just hope that they turn it around. Well, the the hourglass <laughs> is slowly the sand is going down on this on this. I keep I continually end on these notes. Just like you mentioned, they have the talent. They can put it together. They're in striking distance of the playoffs. They're it appears getting healthier. Hopefully, have some type of rotation set here in the next. two or three weeks sad that i'm saying that about this team but hey can they finally get a rotation set as as we head towards mid-february late february and also the schedule really eases up than what it has been but john noted on the last podcast they're still kind of behind games on a lot of teams so they they haven't played as many games as other teams so we have seen them being consistent and i don't know if that's always a plus it looks like oh hey you can still catch them in the standings but then you know they collapse First, first, a team like the Hornets, or, 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 God forbid, would lose in Philly or something like that. I'm still counting on three more wins versus Philly and two more wins versus the Nets. So I got five more wins on the Wizards. Anyone, any other game, I'm not counting on so far. <laughs> I wouldn't even count on those wins in Philly. That, that's that's really presumptuous, there. Oh, damn it! All right, well, thank you everyone for for listening to me, and Rashad. Make you all feel miserable about this basketball team. Hopefully we gave you the real, though. That's why you listen to this podcast. And once again, I always thank thank everyone for your support. Uh, And always, go Wiz.